You guys can be seated. Thank you, thank you. My name is Brian. It's good to have you guys here today. I'm the, uh, the pastor here, and uh, there's nothing special about me. I want to let you know that each and every one of us have access to God through Jesus, and that he invites us into relationship uh, with him, that Jesus has made uh, a way to the Father, that our sins no longer separate us, uh, that we can have access to God, that we can go boldly before his throne of grace, and uh, we don't need to fear God or his wrath, that Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins upon himself uh, so that we can be forgiven, that we can be the righteousness of God in Christ. So, uh, so it's good to have you guys here today. We, uh, as a church, we, we love Jesus. We believe the Bible and what the Bible says about him. I realize that might seem like an arbitrary thing, like why, how did we randomly pick a book on the shelf and just said, like, this is the one that I like. This is the one that I'm going to believe and assume describes our reality. But, but we believe that the Bible uh, does, in fact, speak the truth, that there's uh, logical reasons and conclusions that you could come to, uh, that God has demonstrated himself as true, that God proves himself as true, that we can have confidence in the things that he says, and that it's not just some kind of like, I hope so sort of life that we as followers of Jesus live, but, but Jesus has proven himself as true, that the word of God proves itself as true, and that we can trust him and what he says. Uh, based on that claim, you might be like, wow, like, that's a pretty big claim, Brian. Like, I should probably back that up just a little bit, even though it's not in my sermon. I'm already off topic. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that God says about himself as uh, unique to himself is that he alone can declare the end from the beginning. And because he doesn't exist within our, our space and time, uh, he's able to see the end from the beginning. And he saturates the Bible, although it's written by man, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he saturates the Bible with things called prophecy, in which he describes events historically before they occur. And it's kind of like a... a uh, an, an indicator of who the true author is. Just like if I had a $20 bill, there's all sorts of ways that I can determine whether or not it, it is authentic, right? There's magnetic strips and there's all the paper and the fabric in the paper and, and all of these little things that are supposed to identify that this is in fact an authentic $20 bill, that the Bible also has those sorts of things throughout it, that it, it's attributed to the only one who could actually write it. It's attributed that the author is authenticated in that word because he's the only one who could describe the end from the beginning. So, so today we're going to be talking about uh, truth and promises, and, and we've been going through a series about making life better, and uh, we've been using as our kind of key text Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'll have some verses up on the screen, and, and uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's found primarily in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in chapter 5, he uh, repeatedly does this pattern of, of quoting from the Old Testament. And then he communicates what the intent of those quotes were, what the intent of that law was, what God's heart was behind it. So it's not just the letter of the law that we see, uh, but we understand the spirit of the law. And in some cases, it appears as though Jesus just completely ups the ante and in what we might have felt was achievable, 
Uh, like when Jesus says, hey, don't murder, it's like, all right, I've, I think I can do that one. Like I haven't, I haven't tried killing anyone this week. It's not on my, my calendar for this month. Like I think I might be able to handle this. But then Jesus ups the ante and says, but you have heard, do not murder. But I say to you, whoever has this anger in your heart against your brother without cause, that you too are worthy of judgment. And then it's like, wait a minute. So like, if I have these anger issues, these unresolved sinful anger issues, if I'm not processing through my anger in the right way, like I'm as guilty as the murderer, like, and it, and it puts us on the same list as they are. And we kind of want, we like the murderers to be on a different list than my name, right? Like, I don't like that idea, but it points out our need for a savior and the fact that we in our own effort, our own strength cannot accomplish, cannot fulfill the law that God requires. And, and so, so today I'm going to be talking about uh, telling the truth and, and keeping promises. And uh, I'm going to start in the Old Testament in uh, Deuteronomy 23. Uh, if you want, you can follow along in your own Bible. Uh, keep a thumb or a finger in Matthew 5 because we'll get back there in a moment. But Ma- uh, Deuteronomy 23, awesome, yes. I had to bring the computer home and upgrade it and update it this week, and it's working now. So I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Here we go. All right, so Deuteronomy 23. So this is Old Testament, in case you didn't know, uh, written uh, by Moses. So it says this, If you make a vow or an oath to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. That is, if you don't kind of do the thing that you said you were going to do. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. So it's like, all right, if I don't make a promise, then I don't have to worry about not keeping that promise. Uh, It says, verse 23, you shall be careful to do whatever has passed your lips, uh, for you have voluntarily vowed it to the Lord your God, what you have promised from your mouth. So it's basically just saying, if you make a commitment to God, you should follow through and, and keep it. Right? And, and, uh, and I don't think that this is something that is as uh, frequent in our culture as it used to be. Uh, may, I don't know, may, maybe you are here today because you're like, all right, God, if, if you find a way to pay rent this month, I'll go to church this week. And, and maybe he did, and maybe that is why you're here. And I don't know, I don't think that's necessarily how you have to live your life. You don't have to make these like, promises to God and see if you can like, bargain with him to get him to do something that you, that's not, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Don't worry. Uh, if you're... If you want to know how prayer works, go read Matthew chapter 6. Just like you can even just ignore me for the next 15 minutes while you read it. And uh, it talks about prayer. So you can kind of see how good God is as a father. He gives good things to his kids. Uh, and Jesus ends up kind of taking this, this Old Testament passage and, and others. There's others that say similar things. And, and he expounds on it. So let's jump to Matthew 5, uh, verse 33. So Jesus speaking, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Old Testament he's talking about. He says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So this idea of taking an oath. But I say to you, so there's going to be like a shift here, a a different uh, kind of direction that it's going or he's communicating the intent here. He says, don't take an oath at all. Like, don't take an oath at all. And then he kind of gives some examples of what people swear on, like your mother's grave sort of idea, uh, except this is what they were culturally used to, right? Don't swear by, uh, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
And he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. All right, so, so instead of just saying, having this uh, pattern of making oaths and proclamations to God and promises to God, he just says, listen, like, just don't, don't make these oaths. Just, just start saying just yes and mean your yes. And, and when you say no, just mean your no. You don't need to kind of have these exuberant uh, proclamations where you're, you know, kind of attaching your word to, to heaven or, or the earth or Jerusalem or whatever. He's like, just, just say yes or no. Like, keep it simple is kind of what he's saying. But, uh, but I want to point out that, that just like the other commands that he said, uh, that Jesus has in this, this sermon that he's giving. Uh, Jesus didn't say that murder was suddenly cool uh, in the earlier passages. He didn't say that adultery was somehow acceptable in the earlier passages. And he's, he's not indicating here that, uh, <coughs> that uh, swearing falsely or, or trying to make a promise to God that you don't plan on keeping or you don't keep, he's not saying that that's somehow now acceptable. He seems to be kind of upping uh, upping the ante one again, once again. And so, so he is indicating like, hey, don't take oaths, but also God is still worthy of your commitment. That God is still worthy of, of your devotion and, and your attention and your affection, right? Uh, so when he says, right, don't swear falsely, I could put that in the positive of just saying like, keep your promises, right? If you say you're gonna do something, just follow through with what you say you're going to do. Don't, don't make deals that you don't plan to keep, all right? Don't just say, yeah, 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 to get someone off of your back. Uh, and then, like, just like, then finally when they go away, like, I have no intention at whatsoever to, to follow through with what I said. Jesus is saying, like, keep your promises and, and perform what you have sworn to the Lord. So, so when you hear that Jesus says, don't take an oath, he isn't saying that God is somehow not deserving of our affection and in our commitment, all right? Because the Bible does talk about that we should commit our lives to God, that he's, he's worthy of that. Now, that's not something I would say about any one of us, that like, are, you guys should really just commit your lives to me and just fulfill all my needs. That's not something that we should do. But God is one who is worthy of our commitment. It says in Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Or, or in Proverbs 16, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, right? That God is, is worthy of our commitment and the universe that we live in is such that when we live according to his plan for our life, that things tend to go better, all right? Uh, we still, by the way, you can do the right thing and experience suffering and persecution in your life. So don't, don't assume this is once again this game that you can play where you can like bargain with God and just be like, God, just like, let me go to the casino, make some bets. You make those work out, God, then like, we're cool. I'll take care of you. I'll slip you 20 right there. You take that, keep that for yourself, right? Like that we don't make this sort of like bargain with God. God is just simply worthy of our lives. It's, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5. I've got this up on the screen. And just so you're aware, uh, followers of Jesus, we don't like obey God in, in an attempt to try to get him to like us or to gain his affection. Uh, we don't obey God out of uh, an, a sense of obligation. We, we follow and obey God out of love because we are so amazed that he loves us, that he has demonstrated his love for us and being willing to, to even die for us when we were his enemies. Right? So it's, it's out of, of that sort of love that we are compelled. And that's what it says here. For the love of Christ 
controls us. I like other translations say, the love of Christ compels us. That's our motivation because we have concluded this, that the one who has died, uh, one, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who uh, their sake died and was raised. So, so the Bible is saying like, I'm, right, I'm alive now and I should live my life for Jesus. That, that that would be a reasonable thing for me to do because Jesus gave his life for me and then proved that he was who he said he was, right? And having predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, and then he was raised from the dead. And he said he did this for me. And so I should now live my life for him, my finite life, right? Giving a handful of my days to God, uh, which he is worthy of. And in exchange, I get right, not because I've got like this great life to offer God, but because he's already loved me and he's invited me into eternity with him, that I'm compelled by his love for me, right? That it's not out of fear of God or like, God, please, like, just let me hang out with you. Like, I'll do this for you. No, no, no. Like he's already showed his love for you and me, regardless of if we do anything for him for the rest of our lives. God still loves us, right? God still has pursued us in this way. Or, or, or Paul says this in uh, Romans 12, that, that we should present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, right? That we, we present our lives, that we in the New Testament notice that we haven't like sacrificed any animals yet here. We're not planning on doing that this morning, by the way. Uh, but we present our lives as living sacrifices unto God, holy and acceptable to him, which the Bible says is our reasonable service. That God's not asking a lot is what it's suggesting. And I know it feels like a lot to us. It's like, God, I was kind of like planning on just like watching Netflix tonight. Like, I kind of want to just live for myself, but you're telling me that I should be living for you and that's reasonable, but it feels like a lot of my time, right? Like maybe, maybe I could just give you like Sunday mornings, and then like I'll have the rest, right? Like that's, that, that seems like a fair exchange, but, but God wants us to live for him all the time. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean for clarity's sake that you need to become a monk and live out in the hills, all right? Living for God means that you are loving the people that he brings in your life, that you're loving your family, right? You're, you're demonstrating God's love to others. You're, you're working hard as unto the Lord, like doing a normal job, all right? Jesus was a carpenter, right, for he was 30, right? So like, go work a job, provide for your family, demonstrate God's love and faithfulness to them and to your coworkers, right? As you're going out and living for the Lord, it doesn't somehow mean that you have to become, right, a silent monk in the mountains. So, so you don't need to do that. But what Jesus says here is, right, don't, don't take an oath at all, right? He says, right, live with this commitment to God, but you don't need to take these oaths. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And one of the reasons why I think he, he puts anything more than yeses and nos in the category of, he says evil, right? Which is like, wow. And, and one of the reasons I think he says that is, if you recall, uh, last week we ended up talking about uh, the idea of divorce and that the only reason God had ever allowed divorce, the Bible says, Jesus said, was because of the hardness of our hearts. That it was almost as though God, like out of just like some degree of like, man, like, this world is so broken, people are so messed up, like, this was, like, almost a, a degree of a compromise that he's allowed. 
And I think that that's the same reason that he's allowed this idea of oaths in the past. Because the reason, the problem is this, right? Like, if, if I said, yeah, 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 I'll do that, and then, like, you know, the person comes back and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I could be like, but I didn't, I didn't uh, remember this? I didn't pinky swear that I would, right? So that didn't count. I know I said, yeah, but that wasn't like, I didn't promise. I didn't say I'd stick a needle in my eye. There was no heart crossing when I said yeah, so I don't need to do what I said. That was just a regular Brian yeah. What you needed is like a Brian pinky promise yeah, and that's not what you got, so I'm under no obligation to do what I said I would do, all right? And, and, and so like this idea of oaths or like having this like, no, I really mean it this time version of my word, it kind of allows for me to have uh, less integrity the rest of my life, where I can just be like, you know, my yeses and my noes aren't very meaningful unless you get like the super duper Brian promise. Like those are the ones that count. And, and so God is just saying like, listen, like you don't need to have this kind of like tiered version of your, your word or your promises. You just say like, when you say yes, just mean yes. And when you say no, just mean no, right? So like having these multiple versions of our word or our reputation and integrity is built on that. It's just like building this, uh, this environment in which we have, like, well, I didn't really mean it that time, and I don't have to mean it that time, where God's just like, listen, just when you say yes, mean yes, okay? And, and so, basically, just tell the truth, that when you, when you make a promise, just plan on keeping that promise, that when you say you're going to do something, plan on doing the thing that you said you're going to say, Right? So, so I just want to point out, that's what Jesus uh, describes that as, right? When you're yes, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Right? You don't need all these fancy, like, contracts, pinky swears, cross hearts. You don't. Just make life simpler than that. And your reputation and integrity will then be established amongst other people. Which Proverbs, by the way, says that a good name, a good reputation is more valuable than silver. All right, like that's what you want. You want to have a degree of credibility in your community, that that's going to go far for you. And in terms of this yes be yes and no be no, uh, Katie and I have had this weird experience in raising our, our kids where Rook, our youngest son, like at bedtime, all right, this is a side story. This isn't in the Bible, just so you're aware. Uh, but at bedtime, like we'll be like, oh, Rook, do you want your stuffed animal, you know, Snoopy? And he'll be like, yes. And then we'll give it to him and say, no, I don't want it. And he'll throw it out of his crib. And then like I pick it up to like leave the room and he's like, no, I want it. I want it. And I'm like, Rook, come on, dude. And then it's like, give it to him. No, I don't want it. And then he'll throw it away again. And it's like, dude, Rook, like you got to like say yes or no here, man. Like you can't keep going back. Like, I'm not going to play this game. You're just trying to extend bedtime so you're not sleeping, right? And, and we're not playing this game anymore. So, so, like, what Katie and I have had to do is when he says, like, he doesn't want Snoopy, he doesn't get Snoopy now, right? And then we even had to make this little song. And here's the song for you to remember, okay? <laughs> Let's see. All right, so it's, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We don't flip-flop back and forth all day, right? So now you guys will know that your yes is yes and your no is no. So, so yeah, uh, there you go. I'm not one for singing. But, uh, but that was just a side story oddly related to this text uh, and that we are going through right now. Uh, another thing I want to point out that Jesus says, Jesus said that we can, that we can say no. 
Jesus said that saying no might be the right thing to say sometimes. That, that we don't have to be like uh, nice Christians that just, yes, fine. Like, we don't, we don't, you can say no sometimes. Okay, that, that God is, like, there is going to be all sorts of wonderful and good things that God has called individuals to do, and they might be, like, passionate and excited about it and be like, hey, like, you should do this with us or you should help out, and, like, even though it might be a good thing they're doing, your answer might be no, and it might be right for you to say no, that you don't have to feel the sense of obligation of, like, well, I guess I have to say yes because they're doing this wonderfully good thing, and and it wouldn't look good on me if I said no. And, and so you can say no, that, that you should say no, in fact, when it's not in right priority for what God's calling you to do or when, when it's something that's going to steal uh, from the right priority that God has for your life of, of putting him first or your family first, right? That you might need to say no at work sometimes and just be like, no, I can't do that. Like, I told my kids I would be there for this and I'm gonna go and do that. Like, that saying no is important and, and is a right thing to say sometimes and that, that it's okay to say no, right? That in order to keep the correct boundaries of your life and the priorities that God's given you and the, the calling that he has for you, it's okay to say no, all right? So I just want to put that out there. Uh, but other than that, like, so this yes and no thing, it seems to be related to, like, keeping your promises. Also, I would just say, like, it comes around with like the idea of telling the truth, right? That God would have us tell the truth. That God would have us be honest, okay? God would have us tell the truth. And, and I'm, I'm probably like way on the edge of the spectrum where I'm even like, I won't even tell you a white lie. Like not because I'm a great person, but because I'd rather like tell you the truth even if it like hurts for the moment so that when the, the time comes where my word really matters to you, that you'll believe me. All right, and so that means like, I'm not always saying like the nicest things, like even to my friends or my wife, but I'm, I'm trying to like tell the truth in kindness, uh, and I think it's worth it. And the reason I'm like this uh, is because, I, I think I just said last week that like I'm someone, who, I've, I've been divorced, and, and in my first uh, marriage, my primary failure in that marriage was that I ended up settling with this idea that it was okay to lie to my ex, where I, I had sinned against her in one way or another, and then, and, and then I somehow like would try to justify it in my mind of like, well, I don't want to tell her this because it might hurt her, and, and so it might be better for me to just lie to her, right? Like, because then her feelings won't be hurt. And, and I ended up sustaining uh, some lies in that marriage, and as a result, like it deteriorated the trust in that relationship, and that was like on me. And, and I harmed that relationship because I compromised with a lie. And, and so, like, I've realized that, and, right, and then going forward since then, it was like, like, this isn't worth it. Like, I just need to tell the truth. And, and, and telling the truth, let me tell you, is, is just, like, an amazingly free and wonderful way to live, right? Like, like if you just, like, tell the truth, in your relationships, your life will be far less stressful, right? Like you won't be carrying around shame or guilt and life literally just becomes easy when you're just like, I don't need to like hide things from people that are like in my immediate relationships. Like I can just be open and honest with them and they, they can like, I can let them know about my failures, right? Like, and it can be a genuine 
relationship, that telling the truth is just so worth it, right? And, and like, it, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, right? Because like I said, when, when the truth really matters and when they really need to know that they can believe you, right, the times when you told the truth and it was hard will give you that credibility, all right? I, I used to think of like truth as kind of like this, this uh, man, here's a great analogy, a, a low yield investment, like a small percentage gain sort of bank account that you gain credibility with people over time. And just like over time, it's like, you know, increasing and it's an exponential growth sort of thing. No? All right. And, uh, and so, right, you gain trust over time with people the more you are honest with them, even in difficult situations. And the sad thing about, right, thinking about it like that bank account is you can make a full withdrawal in a single day with a single lie. And it's going to take a long time to build that trust again. But it's worth it telling the truth. It is, it is the, the only and the best way to live. Like, I absolutely recommend it. All right, uh, let, let's skip over to James chapter 5. Uh, and, and James, in his letter uh, to one of the churches, it seems as though he's actually, like, mentioning quite a few things from the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if that's what was on his mind at the time. But James 5, verse 12, he says this, uh, But above all my brothers, and this is like the last chapter in that letter, and it's a short letter. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, don't make an oath, either by heaven or by earth or by any uh, other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. And what interests me about that is that James seems to put this as like really high priority. Like he addresses a lot of really important things in this letter. And yet, and then at the end, he's like, but above all, like, don't make oaths like this. Like, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm like, James, like, I almost was going to just, like, skip this passage from Jesus' sermon because I was like, I don't know, like, is it really, like, something that we are facing all that often? I was, I was considering, like, just kind of, like, skipping over it to something that I thought was going to be more challenging and more relevant to us. And I even kind of, like, perhaps maybe expanded the topic to this idea of truth and promises. But James is like, no, listen, like, this is so important. And I think part of it is probably there's a cultural difference then, maybe with the types of pagan gods they had and making these promises to pagan gods or whatever. But I think the other thing is that, that we as believers need to have credibility. We need to have a good reputation in our community because all of salvation pivots on trusting in and believing what Jesus did for us. And we are the ones tasked with going forward and bringing this message to the world. And if I'm telling people that Jesus saved them, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus did all of these things and that salvation through him matters, on an eternal time scale, and they don't trust me, like, that's going to be a problem, right? And, and, and that doesn't, that's not a legitimate excuse on their part, right? Because, like, people fail, all right? But God is honest. God is true, even though people fail. But our credibility as believers, as being able to succeed in bringing the good news, the gospel to the world, rests, right, on this. Will people trust us? And even in terms of the qualifications for a pastor or an elder in the church, it says in the Bible that they need to have a good reputation even amongst unbelievers. 
right? That, that that's, it matters, right? And, and if I was to fail as a pastor somehow, if I was to fail to be faithful, if I, was fail, uh, if I failed to shepherd well, it doesn't somehow make God's word false, but it might make me a stumbling block in someone else's life. And, and it's not just pastors that are called to, to preach the truth, that we are all equipped with this ministry of reconciliation. All right, that's some crazy words. Basically, this, uh, this mission to invite other people back into relationship with God, to let them know the good news that God doesn't want to count their sins against them, that there's a way out, that they can have access to him and be with him forever. And, and our credibility as believers matters. It matters. And, and even like, this is like a little bit of a side note, but, uh, but even in terms of like the things that I might doubt or the things that, you know, you could almost put into like, oh, that's like an interesting conspiracy theory. Like I'm even cautious in like how I might like publicly like express my opinions about that because I'm like, listen, I don't want to like bank on like, you know, guys, I think Bigfoot, you know, like whatever, like that would be unnecessary for me to stake my credibility on something that's not that important when something that is so significant is hanging in the balance. Right, like that, that, like I'm even like cautious of like, I don't want to have like too many things on the list that when people think about Brian, like, I don't know, Brian kind of has like a low standard for like evidence that persuades him of something being true. Like, I don't want that to be the case, right? Because like I said, I want people to be persuaded by the truth of the Bible. I want people to know that what Jesus said is true and that he really loves them. Right? I, I want them to know that. So, so our credibility as, as believers is so important. And, and what James says, one of the things that he tacks onto this is a reason is that so that we may not fall under condemnation, that we wouldn't be guilty of, of lying, that we wouldn't be guilty of failing to keep our promises, that we wouldn't be uh, losing our reputation with others, right? That our credibility matters. And there's, there's a passage that I wanted to share, like in terms of keeping promises, right? Like the easy way out, like the Bible kind of said was, well, if you don't make a promise, like you won't fail to keep it. Uh, but there are times when we should make commitments to people and when our, ye- our yes should, in some cases, be viewed as a, as a promise. And there will be times when it's like, you know, you might not be able to uphold your end, that, that maybe for moral reasons, like if, if you, like, committed to do, you know, with someone to do something wrong and you change your mind on it, that's, that's a good decision, right? Uh, but in terms of like a promise, we, we should go pretty far to keep it, all right? We should be willing to go quite far to keep our promises. And this, this is in Psalm 15. I'm just going to read, it's only five verses, it's pretty short, but it hits a few of these topics. It says this, a Psalm of David. Uh, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And then he says, right, he describes what the characteristics of someone who would have relationship and access to God would be. He says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. And he who speaks truth in his heart. So once again, Paul's saying like, relationship with God is going to be evidenced eventually in our lives by our Speaking of the truth, right? That, that we'll speak the truth that's in our heart, that we aren't going to be veiled in our truth, right? That, that Proverbs talks about this idea that flattery is, is lying to someone for, for manipulation or my own benefit. Flattery is like telling someone something they want to hear so that they will then maybe do something that I want them to do. 
all right? And, and we should just be honest. We shouldn't, like, have these veiled feelings towards other people. We should be open and honest with them, not, not to the level of being unkind, all right? Not to the level of being cruel. We should speak the truth in love, the Bible says in Ephesians, that, that it should be gracious to those who hear us. But we need to be honest. Or verse 3, it says, who does not slander with his tongue? Right? So slander would be, I'm now perhaps telling a lie about someone to ruin their reputation. Right? That I'm spreading gossip. That the, this, this matters, right? This matters. And my, my character and integrity should be evident in my life over time. And, right? and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Right? So we're not, we're not lying about other people. Verse 4, in whose eyes a, a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Right? That this idea is that, that if I said that I was going to do something, right, that I should keep my word even if it's now going to cost me more than I might have originally thought. That if, that if I made a bargain with someone, if I said I was going to do something and then suddenly like, well, it didn't pan out the way I thought it would, that I should keep my word even to my own hurt, right? That that's the sort of integrity that God would want us to have, that we wouldn't change what our promise was simply because it got tough, right? That we should follow through with what we said we would do, right? So that's like in terms of the, the seriousness that, that the Bible has regarding our, our keeping our word, like that's the sort of thing we need to think about. Is like, am I willing to suffer loss to follow through with what I told someone I would do? All right. And uh, verse 5, I'll just finish it even though it's unrelated. It says, who does not put out his money at interest, so you're not trying to like gain off of those who are poor, and who does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things will never, never be moved. All right. So just the stakes, all right, are high when we make promises to people, and we should follow through with what we, what we commit. Now, now, in terms of the like, idea of truth and promises, uh, Jesus talks about uh, Satan, all right, and, uh, in John chapter 8. Now, I'll, I don't remember if I put, I think I put this up on the screen. I think I did. All right, I didn't make a note to myself here. Uh, and, and Jesus actually like, talks about that when we lie, we are acting like the enemy, all right, so check this out. So this is what Jesus said. He's talking to the religious elite, the Pharisees in his day. And uh, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And now Jesus is gonna say something really offensive here, but it's true, okay? Uh, because Jesus loves us and he tells us the truth. He's not gonna lie to us. Uh, and what he's going to say here is about the idea that even though we were all created by God, we are all not part of God's family. All right? That's an offensive idea, right? But this is what he says. Uh, Jesus, man. Whew. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Right? So, 
So Jesus says something pretty offensive to these uh, religious people, and, and it's, that's a hard truth to hear. But I want to point out that when you and I lie to other people, the person we are acting like is the devil, all right, is the enemy, all right? And, and that Satan, he was the original deserter. He was the original betrayer. He abandoned his post, right? He betrayed God and heaven, and, and he is the original liar, right? He lied uh, to Adam and Eve, and, and it says that basically he's fluent in lying, that lying is his native language, right? That he is the father, father of lies, right? And, and so Jesus points uh, to Satan in that category, and, and in contrast, I want to point this about point this out to you about God, is that, that all the promises of God are yes. All the promises of God are true, and we can access those promises in Jesus. I don't have these verses on the screen. I'm just going to read through them quick, but I've got their locations in case you wanted to write them down. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is Christ. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen just means I agree, right? That is true, all right? Numbers 23, 19, it says that God is not a man that he should lie, all right? Romans 3, verse 1 through 4, uh, Paul, it's tough to quote Paul because he's like, has page-long arguments, but I'm trying to take a snippet here. This is what he says, uh, then what advantage has the Jew? He's comparing the fact that both Jews and Gentiles need salvation through Jesus. He says, or what value is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, all right? The very word of God was cared for and carried on by their people, right? But he says this, what if some were unfaithful? Right? What if they didn't follow through uh, on their end of the bargain as the people of God were supposed to? He says, does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God, or faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? He says, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. All right, so in terms of like God's credibility, what the Bible says, right? He's like, listen, like we can believe God as though everyone, right, all of us, we're liars, right? Like God is not one who would lie. And one of the things that I, I like about uh, Jesus is in the Gospels, uh, you'll read that before he says uh, a lot of things, he'll say, truly I say to you. Or in the Gospel of John, often he says, truly, truly I say to you. And I like it in the, uh, the King James, which is what I started with when I was like 16. He says, verily, verily I say to you. He's like, listen, I'm telling you the truth here. Listen up. Right, that Jesus tells us the truth. In Jesus alone, Peter had acknowledged that there, he has the words of truth and life. Right? Like when Peter was considering leaving Jesus and, and Jesus said something that was offensive, like Jesus does sometimes, and like many of his disciples left, he, tur he turned to the 12 and was like, are you guys going too? And Peter's like, where would we go? Like where, who else has the words of truth and life? Right? Like, I don't even understand, like, where would I find this elsewhere? And so what I want to suggest to us, church, is that, that Jesus tells the truth, that God keeps his promises, and that we as followers of Jesus, right, we should do likewise. We should take on the characteristics of our father, all right? We should become like our dad. And so although we're imperfect, although we fail, all right, although we 
break promises and lie. It's something that we need to grow out of, that we need to strive for telling the truth like God does, right? And so as the worship team comes back up, I'm just going to show us this last verse, which is uh, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 1. Nice, I did put that one on the screen. And it says this, right? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so church, we respond to God, right? We have his truth. We can be confident in his promises and we have access to those promises, not because, right, we are good in our own efforts, but because through Jesus, we can experience the promise of, of eternal life with him, right? We can experience relationship with God. And, and that when Jesus says that he loves us, we can know that it is true because God doesn't know how to lie, right? God, in fact, holds his, own, his word above his own name, it says in the Old Testament. So this is something that we can know for certain is true, and we respond to God's promises, right, by being able to live a life as though he's telling the truth, as though those promises are sure. So let's pray before we uh, go into our last few songs. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for your word, uh, that Lord, your word, every word you speak proves true, that when your word goes forth, it does not return uh, useless or void, but it accomplishes what it was set out to do. I thank you that Jesus, you compared the word of God as, as being heard by us and, and penetrating our hearts. It's like seed going into the ground and producing fruit. And so God, I pray that your word would produce change in us, that it would produce life in us, that Lord, we would respond to your word, that we would receive it with joy. And even when we face difficulty in this life, that we would be able to rest assured in your promises, that we would know that it is more blessed uh, to experience persecution and suffering for, for righteousness' sake, for, for your name's sake, than to experience a, a momentary peace or avoidance of that suffering by compromising the truth. Lord, I ask that you would equip each of us with your word, that we would just be able to delight in it, that we would find time to read it and, and just think upon it throughout the week. I pray that, Lord, that we would go forth into our community this week, uh, being able to bring good news, news that is good because it is true and because you offer us life with you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.